we can hear ourselves. Hello, world. Hello, world. I've entered through the Stargate to give you (laughs) (laughs) the best podcast in the universe. In the universe. We have a lot of lists going on this episode with my man Mark from Fantastic Hip Hop. So stay tuned. It's going to be a doozy. (laughs) (laughs) This is Lil MC. This is Unlearn the World. And you're listening to Ratchet and Woke. 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 in the night away and we are tick in the night away somehow some way um we're hip-hop in the night away ratchet hip-hop and woke podcast yeah we're in the building we like here. us on facebook follow us on instagram email us questions comments topics to ratchet and woke podcast at gmail.com um, i the world low mc what's the deal it's clipping a little bit just you're also making my ears bleed so well, just be mindful i can of it. lower that in post okay so that's magic. my ears bleeding cannot be altered in post well you like <laughs> blood so you know <laughs> i'd I'm like to pleasing hear. you <laughs> You're not. <laughs> Just because your eardrums are fucking like are annihilated. We, this, this is how we're starting the pod with fucking eardrum talk. Can we like? Don't you have you topics some shit? Like, I do. I'm all just, right, let's go to the top. Uh, <laughs> let's go right into these. All topics. right, the Cafadonna album cover. You want to talk Bam. about that a while? What? <laughs> Let me let me get right to it. So we got we got my man Mark from Fantastic Hip Hop. He's gonna be joining us later. But um let's but um we've um, done our due diligence in yo, terms of pre production, so we I have did. a whole bunch of things to talk about. <laughs> I really about. do. All right. I, I have really something something really interesting. Okay. So last year we were told that Lil uh sorry, I'm not Lil uh Nicki Minaj yeah. won a lawsuit against Tracy Chapman in regards to using an interpolation of her melody yes. and lyrics in a yes. song, this but is a actually, very case, actually she lost. And she owes, and she ended up settling out of court, but she does owe Tracy Chapman like a shit ton of money, and I can get the exact okay. amount. Yeah, I was understanding yeah. that it was for her legal fees, that the case in and of itself was thrown out, but she has agreed to pay the legal fees well, for she, her even, she threw, for Tracy Chapman even trying to. Well, so what happened was the song never, it was supposed to be on her album Queen or whatever yeah. the fuck. And she ended up just completely scrapping the song. It was, but it leaked onto radios nonetheless, and right. so that's why she ended up still pursuing the this this. Which lawsuit. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But even though it wasn't, you know, on an album, and she didn't collect any royalties from. Well, I guess she did. She collected performance royalties from it leaking and getting on getting yeah. radio. One play. way or another, she got paid, so. or somebody got paid from that one record. Yes, on the radio, an interpolation of a Tracy Chapman song hook, exactly. not not sampling of and the I, song. And I think the main issue at hand is that I think Tracy Chapman's one of those artists that is on the do not sample list. Yes, she is on a list like she doesn't want her music touched at all in any sort of song. Why? Why is that? Sample. That's kind of like I don't like it. I mean, I think people may feel a way, particularly about hip hop music. I think that also factors into it, but I also think that. As an artist, especially an artist as kind of unconspicuous or inconspicuous as a Tracy Chapman, who's kind of like, you know, had her run back in the 90s and now is kind of low ski um, after having humongous phenomenal hits, may not want her work compromised. You That's know what I'm true. saying? May not want it rehashed. I just really wish I could hear it. It sounds kind of like it'd be a dope you know ass saying? song. Like, it's probably the best song on that Nikki. You know, album. and I'm sure she may have also had a bad experience. I remember there was a group, Nice and Smooth, where they had a song that sampled her uh, Fast Car song. Uh, sometimes, and it I was trash. So, sometimes I rhyme. Sometimes I rhyme. Yeah, quick. yeah, I like that you know song. What I mean? 
But I don't I don't know what the business was behind that. It was a great song. It was for hip hop. But, but I don't they know just straight up used it. her that that instrumental. Right. It wasn't like an interpolation my, that, of a of again. A that's my whole point is that her experience in the world of hip hop and sampling may have right, been a really may have, bad experience mm-hmm. in terms of the business of it. So she just may have been inclined to say like, I don't want anybody sampling my yeah. shit, regardless. So I, I I think this entire lesson pays. It, it's a very dangerous dangerous precedence for larger artists who often have to clear the samples like low you know underground artists will put music out and sometimes those samples ain't cleared but we're not really making that much money off of it or we're not big enough on the radar for artists to then want to come after us in many cases right so this yeah no i have a whole fucking album (laughs) that's completely used to like all (laughs) not my own beats i have three (laughs) exactly you know what i mean with like really big samples on them you know what i'm saying but like you know regardless of how many streams i've been may have gotten or how critically acclaimed any of these albums may have been in one circle or another i've never been tasked to or sued or uh, uh, any cease and desist has never become my way knock on wood yeah Hopefully knock on that come. fucking wood bro, but cause... I think what happens is with these larger artists these higher profile artists they're 100% looking for it like you know you have law I know law but Nikki Nikki like, made already did her due diligence and reached out prior but either right, way but this is from my understanding of the entire situation is that she reached out and Tracy Chapman said no yeah <laughs> and then the record leaked so Tracy Chapman, from her vantage point, I could imagine either whether she heard the song on the radio or not, or it was told, she knew that she said no. So however it got on the radio, at that point, her brain doesn't really care. Yeah. She doesn't care if it was accidental. She don't care that there are cultural nuances in hip hop where you could release a record like that on radio, even though it's not on your album. She's just going to go get the lawyers on it. You know what no, I'm saying? No, I think, it, but it, yeah, I agree with all you're saying. We don't have to delve more into yeah. it. But yeah, so. that's... uh. I, you know, I hope but it's that a, it, it's a dangerous precedent for rappers it and, is. and artists who get at that level who may want to sample something in the likelihood that law, you know, uh, uh, legal teams are going to come. And it's also it. just because I think hip hop in itself is a genre of music that is like you always say in your lectures, it's a it's a remix culture. And so yeah. a lot of times, whether it be like Drake using a Mac Dre line in his songs, you know, or 100%. like someone using a chorus and, and recreating it like down to the samples in the beat. Like, everything is remixed and recreated. Like, that's just kind of what hip-hop is. It's almost like a celebration of the of older vintage music I mean, it's, it's to bring it back art, to life. I think, I think American art in, 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 in general samples and critiques, right? Like, if no one was suing Andy Warhol as a visual artist yeah, for taking right. the Campbell's soup can or taking likenesses of mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe and fucking around with them. You know what I'm saying? So, and then I, I think, think hip hop has a negative connotation, right? I think the same principles apply for what Andy Warhol was doing with what producers are doing in the vein of hip hop. So, it's a very interesting debate, nonetheless. We'll keep you up to date. Hey, okay. <laughs> uh, on. I, I yeah. got this. This is very interesting. We were speaking okay. of this yesterday. Yeah. Um, but Lisa Montgomery is the first woman to be executed, and this is specifically by a federal government in the past 67 years got it. Okay, so that's that, what the that difference is okay but nonetheless super interesting topic because it kind of goes uh into the debate which is should you have the authority to execute someone if they're clearly insane you know if they're clearly have a mental illness and in right. this case it was like an incredibly horrible crime that was committed this woman attacked uh, befriended a, a, a girl on on the internet uh-huh. and went over so to her house to hang out with her 
this girl was like in her 20s and she was pregnant. She strangled this girl with a rope and then cut the baby out of her and kidnapped the baby. And like created wow. all of these crazy lies until finally they started falling apart and she was arrested. Um, and taken into yeah, custody. Yeah, so I think just from a legal perspective, what you have to understand, lawyers have the burden of having to prove that this person was incapable of knowing okay, right from so wrong. Okay, so I can continue on with this. Yeah, go ahead. So she she has a history of sexual abuse, was trafficked by her parents and abused sexually and physically by her parents. And this was reported and... and evidence the evidence is substantiated by her relatives stating that this happened and she has you know exhibited like many mental illnesses and was in psychiatric care so it's like indisputable that she's definitely mentally unwell yeah and so yes this is a very heinous crime but at the same time like you were saying is she incapable right. of distinguishing between right and wrong? And, and I, I think in this case, a hundred percent, she she is not. But the thing that the thing that's interesting is, in this case, even though her relatives were in support of her being deemed insane, uh-huh. they also think her crime was so heinous that she should still, nonetheless, should be put to death for it. Ah, well, then there's that. I mean, and I think I think the family is is erring on that side because of the societal pressure that may be coming yes. from the case and right. all of that. So they, they don't want to like stand there all stoic, like we're gonna stand behind our crazy ass relative and then who have was to sexually live. abused right, and trafficked exactly. as a child. Like you what know, the fuck? I mean, yeah, that's that's really unfortunate, right? And I it speaks to how tight knit that fucking family is, obviously. They're not Yo, really that fucking yeah. close. What the um shit? but still, with all that said and sympathies there. The lawyer still has to prove beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt. doubt that this person did not have the intent of befriending this person, killing them and stealing their baby. They have to prove that this was a act of insanity right. as opposed to like, I intended to do it. I covered it up. And I think a lot of the time when you deal with those cases, what happened subsequently after the crime shows the original intent. If you're out here navigating through the world, trying to hide the fact that you did this heinous thing, then you know right from wrong. Well, that's Whereas like if she cut the baby out and then was like parading through mm-hmm. the street trying to eat it, yes, that's like, all right, we can... But it's very you know I mean? interesting <laughs> because it's like when it comes to murders and serial killers, we just got off watching Mindhunters and yeah, that was super yeah. interesting. And in, in the case of The Son of Sam, at least how it was portrayed in this film and what i and and what i researched later it is evident that he was not mentally ill he did this with a a clear conscious and a clear sane mind yeah and then later because he was going to be put on death row started like you know pushing this narrative that the dog spoke to him and he was like he was hearing the devil through the dog and that automatic and he did it so convincing that people were like oh yeah he's definitely insane yeah but he admitted you know that he that was not the case he just yeah, wanted to just, fucking kill people bullshit but it's like uh, you have to be somewhat insane to have that desire and urge to kill someone so that's kind of where it's interesting for me it's like what's why is sociopath sociopathology or psychopathy or sociopathy whatever you want yeah. to call it why is that not considered insane to be a sociopath yeah um because you still again know right from wrong i guess these criteria really come down to were you aware of what you were doing when you were doing it and yeah like nine times out of ten we land on they knew very clearly what the fuck they were doing um whether they whether a, a fucking demon was telling them to do it or not they knew that by killing this person they were wrong mm-hmm. and they try, subsequently tried to get away with it. right that's kind of what it is you it's like knowing you're doing something wrong but wanting to get away with or it or even and being I'll- triggered like there are women who are triggered that their man 
beats them up and they go crazy and then they not only shoot them but then do something more that's the uh, egregious the same plot line of the sinner if you ever seen that with jessica nah. Biel. oh oh shit hope yeah. i didn't know that shit's fucking <laughs> crazy and hella hella good but yeah, yeah no nah. you gotta watch that i know okay. all these fucking murder shows yo like the murder shows the are undoing, killing the game yeah um, the undoing what was the other one we're What's watching the one we're watching sharp objects now, now? we're watching sharp objects yeah. that's just i mean I, why, is there something wrong with this because we're obsessed with fucking murder stuff i think it's, <laughs> i think it's, it's it speaks to our society and like w- the bigger question is why are these shows there in the first place right i think most of it fits to the the, the more mainstream media narrative of having human beings feel complacent in their own lives and existence by watching vicarious experiences of trauma and horror and all of that, whether it's the news or it's a TV show, you feel more complacent in your life that your life is not I think that definitely could be a factor, but I think it's also just incredibly interesting. Just like it is interesting for us to watch war documentaries or us to watch a fucking car accident on the side of the road or us to watch someone getting into a bar fight. It's just like exciting and thrilling and, you know, feeds our adrenaline. you just want to see blood. Okay, I I have another really (laughs) cool, I have a couple of cool topics. I know we got to jump into our interview, but we still got a little bit of time, Yeah, yeah, let's go. All right, so these are interesting. I'm going to let you get this this next one off. Yeah. So (laughs) you had a little stoner fucking moment as you do every day of our lives um, and <laughs> wisdom you, fits yeah wisdom but I, fits. I think this one's interesting because we've been uh, in addition to watching a lot of murder shit we've been watching a lot of cult shit and cult shit that is maybe not even identified or maybe is not claiming to be cults but we kind of perceive it yes. as them being kind of culty and having cult-like behaviors yes so yesterday you were saying we, we watched this documentary axion of something what was in bright axion and bright axion yes. um and it takes place here in the Bay Area and Jamie is actually the one who Jamie DeWolf shout, shout out, to out. To he's the one that kind of uh, introduced this Terrence to us Terrence Without Regrets yes and we'll get to back to us really going hard for Terrence Without Regrets in terms of people trying to besmirch their name but that's a different conversation but go ahead what? <laughs> well the whole thing with Peter Feliciano which we'll talk about in a minute okay yeah <laughs> holy shit okay um, yeah. yes so uh, In Bright Axiom you were saying that this this man was basically trying to create this really crazy ass experience, right? Yes. So why don't, do you want to take it from here? I'll take it from okay. here. Okay. So this gentleman, forget his name, but it, there was a documentary called In Bright Axiom where they chronicle the emergence of this kind of secret society right. among young professionals in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And what they what they come to find out is like you sign up for this for this uh no someone club. someone invites you. You have to be invited. You're invited into this club and it has all the trappings and tinsel of a secret society. Different right. languages being spoken. You're being introduced into these small little gatherings. And, you're, and you have to follow all these clues. You have in order to follow to these clues. It's a very intricate and detailed it's like experience. Dungeons and Dragons in real life. And it comes with its own mythology. It comes with its own ethos and it builds a community. Right. And, and the woods in a secret location. All these different like, things. Like they spent a, a massive amount of money creating this Like Bohemian, this um, Bohemian, whatever. Like Bohemian Grove. Yeah, yeah it kind exactly. of reminds me yeah, of that. It has all the trappings of like Dungeons and Dragons meets religion meets, meets secret rave. society meets a rave because they were doing hella drugs and dressing up and shit in the was forest going on, and right? whatever and the guy who developed it hired a bunch of people like 150 some odd people to create this elaborate what he called a transcendent entertainment experience and invested a shit ton of his own money into it three, because he he's like a millionaire $3,000 a, a day, day yeah. trying to maintain this experience for hundreds of for 365 of days a year 
maintaining all, all year round. rental space. Exactly. For a, a large group of people in the San Francisco Bay Area. Now, what happens, what ends up happening is that after all of this experience and people really loving it, he gathers all of them into a room to have like this big celebration. And it's at this celebration he decides to say, hey, guys, in order for us to keep this going, we need to start having you pay $35 yeah. a month. And it wasn't a celebration. It was like a meeting because uh, yeah. it was like a, a, an opportunity for them to debate almost yeah if they agreed with it or not it seemed like. and it was it was it, people were so outraged and put off by the idea of having to pay into this experience that they had been receiving for free for so long that the entire experience the entire community just kind of broke down yeah it dismantled i don't everything. know how long they were running for it but in any case so what i was looking when i was reading this and watching it and, and, and being completely fascinated by just the elaborate nature of it Right. And this guy literally intending to create this entertainment experience that he thought that because of where he is and the demographic that he could actually monetize this right. and make money off of it and people not willing to pay. Um, but I think he also realized that the people who were participating in this really were devout in this. Like they it, they almost had a religious fervor. It turned from an experience to a straight up way of life yeah. in like it became a religion for them. Yeah, it became like so. And so the idea that he was somehow cultivating a cult cultivating became like a cult. the, is that the what accusation. Cult comes from? Well, it comes from culture, which is to like ah, okay. group together, right? So that's what people were kind of accusing him of. And, his, and, and he claims ignorance of this. He claims that he was literally trying to create this entertainment experience, not realizing that the people who were signing up for this were completely loony. And, you know, yeah, may they were wanna, weirdos. May want to buy into it a little bit more than he was willing to give out, right? Well, that's the perception that he that's gave That's the up, perception, though. right. Mm -hmm. In any case, so what I, I, yesterday we're watching Gaia, the Gaia Network, because that has a lot of documentaries on consciousness and secret societies and, and aliens and all the shit with. we're into. So it just occurred to me out of nowhere that what this gentleman was trying to do with Inbright Axiom is very similar to what I think. L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology actually completed, mm -hmm. right? I think L. Ron Hubbard, who before Dianetics, before the book that he wrote, was a screenwriter or trying to be an aspiring screenwriter in Hollywood and, and couldn't really find work. And there was something in there with psychologists deeming him crazy or he'd been blackballed which he, which by Hollywood. Which he was. <laughs> right? And, so, but nonetheless, he was able, because of the popularity of Dianetics, was able to create an entire experience, community, and in turn, a religion from Scientology, where the higher up you go in the hierarchy of this religion is based on how much you're paying into it, right? And we're, we're now talking about, what, 50, 60 years of Scientology being around, right? So Pretty it, much what you're doing in Ivy League schools, too. It's all <laughs> which occurred to me. So it, in a moment, it occurred, in that moment, it occurred to me this man was was just on the low the low rung of the totem pole for what people like L. Ron Hubbard ended up doing successfully, basically creating a religion because a cult is basically a religion that hasn't Be grown up yet. Yeah, it's, you know it's what I'm saying? The inception of a religion. It's an inception of a religion, right? You have a belief it's system, you have a mythology, right. and people buy into that for their moral guidance and all of and this stuff. And I mean, that's what and you were saying is, is what every religion has every been. Religion just most religions <laughs> aren't within our lifetime. So right. we, Jesus Christianity Christ was a crazy Elrond Hubbard of his time, but we just have to Jewish see people, that was a cult before. It's you know weird what I'm saying? seeing it's, like the, big, the, the people that create religions be wearing like jeans and hoodies you know it's like <laughs> exactly. shouldn't you be like, wearing like a like a cloak <laughs> yeah but they, but they were also wearing cloaks <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like, you shouldn't be having a beard. They just had, they just had doctors under the coats, you know, in Crocs. like, I shouldn't see you in Target, you yeah. know? Like, you, you started what? So I was just expl- I was just rationalizing, like, what this what this guy was trying to do, making it a transcendent ex- entertainment experience, is what I think exactly what L. Ron Hubbard did with Scientology. He created his own mythology. People bought into it, and they used that mythology as the vehicle for creating a new way of life and a new way to view the world. And right? I would agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Same so thing that they tried to do with Heaven's Gates and it's the exactly. same thing they did with Jim Joni drink the Kool-Aid you know and what I'm all saying? that and, you know, and then there's other cults that we don't know about. And you know? also beware because most cult leaders are Leos and I'm sorry Breathless, <laughs> I love you, but you could start a cult if you wanted to. Yeah, she could probably Tauruses too, shout out Daylight, I told <laughs> her that too last week. <laughs> That's you so guys funny. could cultivate. We have a whole world. bunch of cult leader, potential cult leaders in our community. It's okay. I found out what's homegirl's name that's the murderer that got put on death row and was played by Charlize Theron. Oh, uh, Eileen Warnos. Yeah, she's the Pisces, so that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and you're Another woman who was uh, put to death because yes. of her crimes. Yes, but not, but not by federal, federal level. Exactly. State, um, is there anything else that we want to do or Let's cover before we get, get into our guest? interview? Unless you want us to keep No, nah, I think we're good. Yeah. I think we're good. We talked about cults. We talked about... Oh, I just... Can we just kind of uh, break down really quick before we get into this? Um, Siege at the Capitol, right? We, we covered that last class... Uh, last... Week. Last class. <laughs> you can tell I'm a teacher, right? You guys are our students. <laughs> no, we, we, covered, we covered that last week in terms of the Siege of the Capitol. We're now on the verge of impeachment of Donald Trump again. And what impeachment means in this go-round is that he's not going to be able to get his pension. He won't be able to run for re-election 2024. Yay! There's a lot of cool but things I that come that with him. I heard that he could being, still run, and I was not just scared. Not if he's impeach. I mean, maybe he can. I don't know. I don't have all let's, the details. Let's double check and get back to y'all and make sure yeah. that there's no way that this fucking idiot. But I bring it up again because I was using this entire example to kind of break down or make a comparison while we were having a conversation with Peter Feliciano on the conservative podcast, and we got into a very uh, spirited discussion yes. about his gripes with <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you know what I'm saying? And I think that's when my I was really in my wisdom bag when that was hitting. And because I was, he, his eyes started turning red and his yeah, head was turning purple. Because he was about to like explode. Like his Popeye head was about to really just like explode. No, I don't think point. that's why. I think. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It was an impassioned conversation. I think he has impassioned conversations with lots of people. Though. Yeah, but I think... I, in, in this particular conversation, he was taking issue with things that go on at Tourette's Without Regrets. And As an example, how, to allude to a larger It's a hyper-liberal example. safe haven where people like him or artists who have perhaps conflicting political or social opinions may not be able to thrive in that space. But then I think... And what, don't conform to hypersensitivity. And don't conform to hypersensitivity. But I think that the issue that we were taking was that he was using some black female comedian as an example of somebody who may not be all the way talented who was still getting props as if she was really more than what she was in right which it, it, yeah, it, yeah number one it's subjective number one and then i guess yeah. we were just trying to defend that you know is i mean spe- specifically you were it kind saying of ventured that, off into the idea of politics and how politics plays a role in this artistic space and i think that that's what his point was and my point was if for whatever reason the more marginalized groups of people happen to find a community or happen to find a platform that allows them to take center stage versus or to heroin, have a leg up because or to they're have a leg of up. their race or their gender in right. this one instance in all of life. Then exactly. I can't then really I, be yeah, mad at that. I can't be mad at that. I just have to understand that and accept that as the norm of this platform. And he was also using the example of like, don't I as a female MC that 
is talented get upset when I see someone who's just a pretty girl in whack get applauded or or, or attention or a, a, like I don't know like win awards I guess I don't know whatever yeah. like but it my response to that is that I don't think that if you're just because you're attractive looking I don't think that necessarily means that the the audience is like riding with you like if you're trash you're trash like, right. I think that they're le- they're less inclined to be like, get the fuck off the stage, slut, if you're attractive. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I still think that the audience is not going to ride with you if you suck. And right. the same goes for a pretty boy going on stage with a guitar and sounding like trash compared to an uggo that's rocking it and killing it. <laughs> no, <God. laughs> yeah, and I mean, it just the entire Sorry, conversation went from artistry to like segue into political issues and all of those different things. And we were just trying to like equate that there, there are going to be platforms and spaces that are going to be safe spaces for marginalized communities. Right. And you as a heteronormative person, and in his case, a heteronormative white passing person, you have to kind of accept male that. too. Yeah. So you know what I'm a- saying? Like, you know, like you have to kind of accept that you're in this space that you're not going to be the cat's meow. You're not going to be the celebrated one here. And that has to be cool with you because you have to recognize that outside of those doors of that platform, you pretty much get the advantage everywhere else. Right. You know what I'm saying? As a heteronormative man in America, especially if you're white passing or yeah. white. You know what I mean? So it was just a very interesting conversation. You could definitely check that out on the Conservatives podcast. But on we're going to have our Thursday. man, uh, Mark oh, yeah, from uh, Fantastic Hip Hop, is about to join us right now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we're here. Do you want to do the intro? No, you do the intro because right. we've never met. We have <laughs> never the intro. All right. So we're here with the Fantastic. The, the one and only, um, my man Mark from Fantastic Hip Hop. Um, How you doing? How's it going, bro? Joining us live from the East Coast. I didn't, I, for some reason, I thought you was in California, but it's good to, are you New York? Are you in New York? New York, born and raised. Born hey, raised. What, what borough? You know, um, I'm from Westchester, so I'm right outside the city. Oh, like White Plains? Like Purchase? Like Yeah, like White Plains. White Plains. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with that whole yeah. area. All right. So it's, it's considered like kind of like Uptown. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you are here, sir. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, we wanted to have you on the show because like, you know, um, um, amongst our little community, you're, you're pretty much getting a name for yourself. People really fuck with what you do on your blog. So I, we want to kind of get into you a bit. In terms of how you got started, how what you're building with your with your blog and all these different things, um, but then we want to get into your list and, and list that we put together. We'd love your feedback on. Uh, but really, just tell us about you and like what made you, as a hip hop head, want to start this this blog and this uh, this um, Instagram page that is really fucking blowing up like low key. Like I think when yeah. we first met with each other, I think you're you're also a writer for undergroundhiphopblog.com. Yeah. And I think when we first started interacting, you were maybe at seventeen hundred followers, and now you're at like like seven thousand. I'm at I'm at nine thousand. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like it's just crazy, and that's like within what maybe what six months, five like five six months. So speak to your experience in hip hop, sir, and 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 what made you want to start this whole thing, and in your entire process and how it's grown. Um, well, I mean, I really, like, got deep into hip-hop in about, like, 2016. What really got me into hip-hop was actually the Straight Outta Compton movie. That that okay. was sick. And then um, from there, just a, I just went Just a preface through... for our audience, you're younger than most of the people that yeah. show or whatever the case is. How old are you? Yeah. 
I'm 17. 17. So, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's that's powerful in and of itself. But continue. <laughs> so then, you know, 2016 was a crazy year. So I was, you know, I was going through the legends, like, you know, NWA, Tupac, Biggie, Nas, Jay. And then, you know, all the new guys were dropping. You know, there was a ton of classics that year, you know, and then I just went from there, kept getting into it. And um, now I am where I am today. I really, I just know way too much about this stuff. And, um, you know. <laughs> You're like, how do I um, get paid to do this? Like, yeah. <laughs> but what, what I particularly appreciate about you is yeah. that you have these really dope hot takes. You create these lists that a lot of people engage in. And some people love you for it. Some people hate you for it. It's a very mixed yeah. bag, which is community in general, right? Like, you know what I'm yeah. saying? You're not going to get it 100% right all the time. Um, you know, but... So you've been growing this this blog as well as the Instagram page, Fantastic Hip Hop. Uh, we will have you shout it out in the way that you need to a little bit later. Um, and you've been you've been really just garnering and creating a community by creating these like deep dives and these like artist profiles and breaking down like yeah. individual artists, their pros, their cons, creating you know top ten list and top fifty list. You put my album on the top fifty list of albums that got released last year. Right? I appreciate Rightfully it. so. Rightfully <laughs> thank so. you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, it, it, but it's very interesting and, and I think really uh, refreshing for somebody like yourself as a 17-year-old to not to really know the culture in the way that you know the culture. And us as hip-hop educators, like we teach hip-hop for a living and we teach kids your age. If you lived in the Bay Area, it would be very likely that we'd be at your school and like talking about you after the class like yo this kid was fucking dope like in terms of what you know <laughs> right just because yeah. you you know the old school stuff right like i see illmatic in the back but i also see it next to Denzel you know, Curry. yeah so it's yeah. like you know the old school you know the young artists and you you do these takes that i i think are really important for the culture to have for from people like you who are younger who yeah. can connect what's going on in hip hop now to what was going on in hip hop back then, at least from the music perspective of it. Yeah. What's your question, bro? Yeah. He just started talking. No, just... Ask him a fucking question. <laughs> no, he's, I swear to God. <laughs> no, because I have to break down for the audience who doesn't know like what he does and Let why he's special and why he's on the show. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get into your, like, your, your list and like what, what criteria are you using to define a dope album or a dope artist? Like, what, what are you listening for? That's a great question, yeah. I mean, that's a question I get asked a lot because, you know, people are like, oh, how are you going to say, you know, MF Doom is better than Eminem? Eminem, you know, my mom knows Eminem, my grandma knows Eminem. That does not matter. I think the first thing that matters when you're judging music is the music. That's why, you know, someone like you, who's, you know, a more local artist, can be on the same list with, you know, uh, Run the Jewels or Benny the Butcher because, you know, the end of the day it's about the quality of the music not you know how much it's selling or what the hype is around it i think that's really like that's what i judge it on just how good is the music i mean the other things you know influence sales that's all cool but it doesn't really make as much as an impact i think it has to be judged on the value of the art if you feel me yeah no totally yeah. um but do you factor in at all the the public's response to certain records or like do you do you account for cultural impact in a, as well as your own experience of the of the music i mean yeah not really because again it's like you know a record like again straight out of compton which is a record that got me into hip-hop you know i love that record it's one of the most influential records if not the most of all time it's not you know i don't have it near my top 10 top 50 i don't think it's aged 
as well as other albums, you know, but obviously if you're talking about influence, it's got to be in the top five. But I think, you know, it's really, it's based on the quality, you know, how good it sounds, you know, things like that. I really, there's no other factors that I really play into it, you know, and if someone, you know, if a bunch of people love an album and I've hated, it, which I've done before, I've said, you know, things about artists, albums, people really like, and then I've gotten a lot of shit for it, you know, just the way it happens, you know what I mean? Yeah. Got to take it. Yeah. Um, okay, so as a New York and as someone who's younger, so for me, I had a kind of a difficulty forming my own lists in preparation for this pod because a lot of my favorite artists are really melodic. For instance, St. John, who I'm sure you've heard of out in New York. So how he's do dope, you, yeah. yeah, he's super dope. So how do you, how would you include those types of artists like a Juice World or, you know, those like barely melodic trap artists into a hip hop list? Would you create an entirely different list for them? Um, I mean, they can obviously be ranked on their own, but I think they can, you know, I think a Travis Scott can be compared to a Kendrick Lamar. At the end of the day, I think, you know, even though their styles are completely different, it just really shows how far hip hop's gone, where you have guys, you know, like Travis Scott, who are making almost like R&B-ish stuff. Then you have, you know, like Death Grips, who are making crazy experimental industrial hip hop. And then, you know, you have, you know, the boom bap guys, the conscious guys, the jazz rap guys. But I think they can all be compared, I mean, again, just based on, you know, the quality of their music. But, yeah, it's definitely, you know, hard. You're looking for different things, you know. Someone said to me, how do you have J. Cole on my tier list, which I don't know, I think you've seen on Learn. You know, like, I have J. Cole on the same level as Playboy Cardi. They're like, Playboy Cardi can't rap like J. Cole. But, yeah, he does other things better than J. Cole. But you know what I mean? It's like you look for different things in different artists. You know, you look for Kendrick Lamar. You expect conscious storytelling. You look for guys like Griselda. You're looking for those hard bars, hard beats. And then, you know, you're going for someone like Travis Scott, Lil Uzi. Just going for fun, really. I mean, you know, that's really what those guys are about. It's a vibe. Exactly. So I'm very interested. Let's go through your because I because I just went through your whole Instagram and you have a shit ton of lists and, and artist bios. So let's get into your top twenty albums and let's let's all talk about our top twenty albums because it's okay. gonna be fun. All right. So um, you want to pull out the list or like? Yeah, but I mean, he's, let let, let you right. go first. So yeah. So let's let's go over your. I guess top. You want to go top twenty? Or oh, I'm top sorry, 10? top ten. Top, top ten. 10. So of let's, 2020. let's kind of go. Over. I wasn't ready for a top twenty. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot. I made a twenty twenty. My it's, bad. Yeah, I, I always there's always like thirty five albums. Like I'll be talking to my friends and stuff. They'll be like, you know, what do you think of this album? I'll be like, oh, it's top twenty five, top twenty. They're like, you say that about fifty different albums, which I mean, it, it's really a tough list to make. You know, the ten, twenty best. But I think there's ten that I think are you know definitively better than others, or at least you know. Somewhat. And, and what are you going off of? Are you going off of replay value? Or are you going off of like how it sticks to your ribs? Are you going off of like the hits or just the, the body of work in and of itself from beginning to end? Like, what are you listening for? You know, just like the overall quality of the album, you know, usually things that make an album great, you know, some sort of, you know, unique production or narrative, you know, something usually I think the best albums they kind of break the mold of hip-hop. You know, whether that's like Nas's Illmatic in 94 or To Pimp a Butterfly in 2015, those albums did something that most records don't. A lot of albums come by and you listen to them like, you know, this is good. Oh, I don't know. My computer just yeah. shut off. My bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of albums, you know, you listen to, they're like, you know, this is good. It's good music, but is it really sticking with me where I'm going to listen to it over and over again? But I think, yeah, replay value, you know, it's something that, you know, some albums have more replay value than others because, you know, they're, whether they have more hits, you hear them more. But at the end of the day, I think albums that are better, more interesting, you're probably going to go back to, you know, more and more. So. Yeah, especially in this Pretty era. Much. 
So I, I was going to just say, especially in this era where like music is coming out so frequently, you know, yeah. I mean, album, artists are dropping maybe two or three albums or EPs a year now, especially yeah, yeah. In, the, in, the, in the COVID era, um, for something to have that level of replay value does speak to its, um, you know, just it's the talent and how well put yeah. together it is. You well, know? I, I think that's why like a lot of those like melodic rappers i mean and, and speak to this too for me have more replay value because it's hard for as much as i enjoy griselda albums and benny the butcher specifically it's hard for me to replay over and over again super 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 lyrical stuff as much as i appreciate it whereas something yeah. that's more <laughs> melodic like travis scott or kid cuddy i tend to replay that more so i don't know if that's something that you also might consider when you're making a top 10 album list if it's like for hip hop, you know, it's hard. It's hard for people to say that Kid Cudi is on their top ten when he's not really the most lyrical. But musically, it's, in my opinion, one of the best albums of twenty twenty. Yeah, Man on the Moon three. You're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I had that at twenty one on my list. I thought it was really good. Yeah, but um, it's like you know, it's a weird thing. I think when you're a lyrical person, I think you have a higher ceiling. Not really. I think Cuddy's different. He's kind of an outlier in the more melodic group because I think he's more um, he's more sonically diverse and he's more conceptual than, you know, a Travis Scott or, you know, Juice World, even like a future young thug. But at the same time, I think when you're more lyrical, you usually have a more, you know, profound skill set. And I think it kind of lets you have a higher ceiling. I think with, you know, guys in the trap field, I think their ceiling is only so high because what they're doing is never going to be that groundbreaking for the most part, at least for what we've seen. I think... You know, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. people have been groundbreaking in creating trap music and doing trap fusion. I think sonically yeah. trap can be very groundbreaking. And I think yeah. that in the future, we're going to be seeing, like I, I made this, this I had this hypothesis ah, disappearing a really yeah. long, like maybe a year or two ago, where I think that the majority of hip hop is going to be like on that trap melodic tip. And it's going to be a, very rare to find like a very boom bap hip-hop artists in yeah. 10 years um i mean you know I, I, you go ahead go ahead you talk no you talk you talk no i was just gonna say <laughs> i i'm i'm almost a little inclined to disagree with that i think that melodic hip-hop is going to be absolutely mainstream because of the the sellable the 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 marketable value of it yeah. but i do think that there is something in terms of the market of like actual rapping i, I do think though with that said, that the lyricists or the the, the, the bar smiths, wordsmiths that we have out there have a tendency to be a little one dimensional in what they're able to do. Like what they're able to do, they do very well. But then outside of that like box, Rick Ross. You know? saying, exactly. Like outside of that box, you don't really have a lot. But there are those artists that have that well-rounded nature about them that end up really shifting and impacting the culture. The Kendrick Lamars, the J. Coles, you know what I'm yeah. saying? You can like live in all these different iterations and generations of how hip hop sounds. Yeah, for sure. I think honestly, I think trap music, I think it's hit a wall. I think, you know, the music is not really getting any better. I think there's a couple guys who are at the top and I think they're gonna keep getting better. But I think, first of all, everyone's trying to make trap music. So it's like the market has been so over flooded. I mean, even guys in the pop lane, like Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande have made more trap oriented sounding albums. And I mean, it just shows like everyone is trying to hop on this wave. And at the same time, it's like, you're getting all this music. It's really starting to drown out. And that's why like in 2020, especially you saw guys who had their best selling years who were not, you know, popular, you know, considered, you know, selling guys. Freddie Gibbs had the, um, Freddie Gibbs and Alchemist had Alfredo. 
That sold 35,000 units. It was in, I think it debuted at 10 on the Billboard. Run the Jewels had their highest selling debut album, or not debut, but highest selling charting album with Run the Jewels 4. And then, you know, the Griselda guys, they were all charting. You know, they had a lot of success this year. So I think people have kind of are starting to get sick of trap. And I think that's why, you know, these more traditional acts are starting to, you know, get a little more recognition. But I think it's just going to be a slow change. But I don't think trap music's going to die. I just think it's hit a wall quality was. Or, okay, so I see you got Denzel in the back there. Um, and yeah. he made this super dope-ass track with Glass Animals called Tokyo Driftin' and other, like, kind of electronic groups, like yeah. Big Gigantic, have also done records with, like, Logic. It's a really dope record. And then Flume has done records with Vic Mensa. Yeah. And so I think that maybe not Trap, but I, I could see a possibility for this wave of, like, dope electronic. Like with hybrid. Hybrid, yeah. yeah, hybrid of, like, rap over these dope electronic beats because they have like yeah. such dope drum programming which yeah it's like these heavy ass kicks and i just think that it's like a it's very interesting to see if that maybe is, becomes the new wave because i could agree trap is kind of becoming saturated and boring yeah 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 all right well let's get into this list who do you have in your top 10 list in terms of albums that were released last year 2020 20 yeah 20. so top 10 album top 10 albums of 2020 yes yes okay so you want me to go through it from yeah, yeah. just go through it and then we'll we'll, we'll ask for some right. particulars and so um yeah the the list is on my website but um so at ten I had um Manger on McNichols by Boldy James and it's produced hey. by Erwin yeah. Coles. Yeah. yeah Boldy James had a hell of a year last year. He had um you know Price of Tea in China with Alchemist, he had a record with Jay Versace, then he had the other one with Real Bad Men. That was he had a dominant year, but I thought that was his best record. I thought it was the most, you know, stylistically diverse, which I think really set it apart. And I mean, he was really like, he was rapping about, you know, real shit on that. He was really going in. That record was great. Um, at nine, I had King's Disease by Nas, which I thought, you know, Nas has been struggling for, you know, his last two albums. I thought Nazir with Kanye, I thought was kind of disappointment. Yeah. And then Lost Tapes 2 was probably a little better, but it really wasn't anything and memorable. For the most part, if people like... The Damian Marley one? Take it and leave it. No, that's a... That's uh, Distant Relatives. We talk about yeah. another Lost Tapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the second Lost Tapes, yeah. But, um, I mean, he really bounced back with this record. I mean, I think, you know, Hit Boy, who produced the entire thing, he yeah. had, you know, a dominant year, arguably producer of the year. I'd probably give it to Alchemist, yeah. but Hit Boy made a good run for it. And, um, yeah, no, Nas really, it was just a great comeback record. He was working with, you know, a lot of younger guys. He had The Firm on it. It was just a great, well-rounded record. It was, you know, enjoyable. And, I mean... I really think it, you know, put Nas back on the map. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I and then... Sure. I agree. Yeah. Did you put Nas in your top 10, too? I put too? Nas in my top yeah. 10. I did it. I'm not a Nas fan. I'm not a huge mm -hmm. Nas fan, and I know... She's not that. a big East Coast Yes, I am. Fans. I like Big L, <laughs> like and I like Biggie, and I love Lil' Kim. I just, I just never... But really... those, I mean, I think with the exception of Lil' Kim, they're, those are legacy acts. They're like posthumous acts. You, yeah. you knew them before they were I like Pop Smoke. Dead. I know he's not like Boom Bap, <laughs> okay. but Pop Smoke is in right. mind. Yeah, and, no, and Pop Smoke dominated this year. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. I just personally, like, I go back to Nas and Jay-Z, and I study their, like, lyrically what they did, but I don't necessarily, like, enjoy their music. Yeah, but I appreciate what their impact on the yeah. culture, and I appreciate just, of course, yeah. like, lyrically how talented they are. It's just, mm -hmm. I don't know. Something about it just doesn't click for me personally. Exactly. Um, but continue, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, so you, you're at nine or eight? Eight, now I'm at eight. Yeah. Eight, I had um, Spirit World Field Guide by Aesop Rock, who, um, you know, 
Aesop Rock is just a mastermind. You got to listen to it. It's it's great. Aesop Rock, I think, is right there with Doom as the two best lyricists of all time. I mean, yeah. dude is literally, he has a broader vocabulary span than William Shakespeare. He is the wordsmith. He is the guy. And I mean, he just creates these weird worlds that are just kind of like scary and you, know, you keep wanting more. And, you know, he did it again with this one. This was his first solo album in four years. It was a great listen. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, it was dope. I listened to Aesop when I was like in high school when I was first started. Rapping, I, lo I love his I voice. He has a really dope voice that always. He does. Okay, so who do you have now? That was seven. Eight, seven. Seven. I had no pressure by Logic. This was, you know, this was like I think probably the most significant comeback in hip hop history. I mean, Logic really like critically wise his albums. He really was on the downfall. I mean. He had maybe four, maybe five. I don't, you know, a lot of terrible records that were pretty much unlistenable. And, you know, we finally. <laughs> yeah. I'm not and, a lot of fan. Yeah. Um, he finally, you know, he hit it back this year. He went on his old stuff, No ID. You know, he was the executive producer. As soon as I saw No ID was on it, it was a sequel to his debut album. I knew, you know, it was going to be a bounce back record because, you know, no ID. He, um, you know, executive produced 444 by Jay Z, which was, you know, yeah. Jay Z's comeback record in a sense. And, um, yeah, no, it was just, it was great. It was, you know, it was down to earth. He talked about so many interesting things. It was really, it was a great. It was great a diverse album. album. I wouldn't put it there in my top ten, but I could understand how somebody could have it there. And in terms of when you look at it in the context of him as a comeback album, then totally. Yeah. In the same yeah. way as with Nas, like it, like you came back like that. Wow. Okay. It's notable. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I have a quick, do people seem to lash back on, on your take on Logic? Because he has a lot of haters or they're like diehard fans. So I'm just curious. Yeah, he does. Um, I mean, I did actually have a lot of Logic stands who, you know, I had, I do my artist overview series. It's really tough to rank all these rappers. You know what I mean? Like you might have, you know, a, a guy who's pretty great, like J. Cole or Logic, who are going to end up in C because, you know, that's how, you know, that's how many good guys there are if you don't know. It goes S tier, which is like the top tier, and then it goes A, B, C, D, E, F, and that's it. But, you know, I put Logic in C because, you know, I think, you know, that's a fair judgment for him, but a lot of people got mad at me for that. But, um, yeah, oh, they, he's got an... think he deserved to be higher than C? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he sells records. That's like, I think he does. for younger audiences, he is like the go-to lyricist because he's a generation under Kendrick, Cole, and Drake. Like, he's the generation. Yeah after them mm -hmm. he was influenced yeah. by them so for people in that age demographic or people who are just coming into hip-hop who want to know about rapping rapping they have a person like logic who's taking you know yeah. the best of or taking tools from all these other mcs toolkits and giving it yeah. to the younger audience is and that's joiner why. in that same like generation then too with joiner lucas oh my god I hate yeah it. but i think you put joiner lucas as like one of the worst albums that came out last year right yeah i, I, I thought his yeah I thought his ADHD album was terrible, but the Evolution album he had, which came out a little later in the year, I thought that was, you know, it was a solid record. I had, I think I gave it a 5.7 out of 10. Yeah. It's which, hard for me to really get on the Joyner Lucas train. I think he creates really great moments for himself and hip hop in general in the same way like Uncle Murder and Mad Skills every year come out with their yeah. 20, their year end wrap up. Right. But then yeah. like, terms of like a cohesive body of work or like a standout feature or a hit record i don't i don't really see that from him so it's hard for me to really get on board with him yeah, yeah. no I, I agree with you yeah i think there's a lot of guys like joiner who can you know they can rap fast they're kind of you know crazy you know with their flows and stuff but they're not really too much beyond that right mm. 
Okay, yeah. so we're, we're, we're at top five now? Top five? We're at six. We're at six. Okay, we're at six. Yeah. Six, I had um, From King to a God from by Conway the Machine, Yeah. which, I mean, you know, it was more of a typical Griselda record compared to what Benny and, like, West Side Gun did with their records, but it was Conway's most focused album to date. It had, you know, it had those hard Griselda tracks you'd expect. It had some, you know, deeper songs talking about, you know, DJ Shea, who was their producer, mentor, who died a couple months before the record came out. It had a bunch of great features, you know, a bunch of, you know, great producers. DJ Premier was on it. Murder Beats was on it. It was just, it was a great record. It was his most polished body of work. Like, Agreed. you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you're going to do a shady release of a Griselda record, which I think it is. Yeah, that wasn't a shady release. He uh, has, wait, his shady album is coming in 2021, which is considered like a sequel to that album. Oh, okay. And then Probably. he's getting released from Shady. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I think they're yeah. they're all getting released somehow. I'm Benny's not signed there, but I think yeah. has a group. West Side already is done. He did his album and um you know he's done. Was that Pray for Paris or was no that was uh it was Who Made the Sunshine. Yeah, Who Made the Which Sunshine. Which I thought I thought Shady Records did a terrible terrible job marketing. Absolutely marketing, horrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely horrible. horrible. Maybe they felt yeah. salty cuz they were he was leaving <laughs> Shady. <laughs> it, it could be. It could be. Yeah. Um who do you got for 5? We're in the top 5 now. Now we're in the top five. I got another Griselda guy. Um, Pray for Paris, West Side Gun. Yes. I said. I said in my you know my top years, top ten albums of the year article. I said this was like the um, underground version of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. It was like you know all these you know top guys coming in, helping West Side out, and they were you know creating something really bigger than himself. It was a great record. I mean, it embodied every, you know, every piece of hip hop. You had, you know, Tyler the Creator rapping on it, Tyler the Creator's beats. You had, you know, you had guys like Rock Marciano, Boldy James. And, you know, it was just, it was a great record. And the, you know, idea behind it, which was like, you know, I, it took me months to pick up on this. And then I saw a bunch of other people were saying this too. But what the record really means, it's supposed to be about how, you know, West Side Guns, this, you know, guy from um, from Buffalo, New York, you know, he really shouldn't be, like, in Paris. And now, you know, he's gotten this far. He's got all these connections. You know, Virgil Abloh, you know, he designed yeah. the cover the, of the album. That, you know, that cover's cool. hard. That's like that cover is, is yeah. Cover is it's ever. sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But, you know, it's just really, it's a great record. And, you know, it's got a great message behind it. Totally. And I but, think um, that he's yeah. probably, like, the most underestimated of Griselda because uh, people don't really go to him for, for lyrics. I think he's more of yeah. like a manager position. Yeah. And, stop, and, yeah. He, and he, like, creates all the Griselda merch. So it's just yeah. – I, I was, like, surprised at how dope that album was, too. Yeah. It's, it's, and he has a voice. He has a very distinct voice. that voice, yeah. carries. I think MCs in general, your voice can carry you so much further um, where your lyrics – if your lyrics are lacking. I think yeah. Like, yeah. Good I agree. We'll take you far. All right, so now we're, we're what, four? Top four, yeah. Top four. So number four, I got um Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist. It was a great record, you know. Alchemist, one of the best producers of all time. Freddie Gibbs coming off Scorching Hot off Bandana with Mad Lib. You know, he yeah. actually, I think he, you know, might have outdone him his own performance again. I mean, he keeps getting better. He keeps, you know, he's rapping in these different voices, different flows, different pockets. You know, he's talking about more you know deeper subject matter i mean it's really he's really improving every album i think he's been probably the best rapper you know the past couple of years he's really he's just so consistent definitely but, um, he, great he would be like in that same generation of logic too though right because he, i started listening to him in 2013 or something 13, 14? gibbs has been around for a minute 
He's kids. been out since oh, like wait, the late no, 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 2011. But he's also before older. my child was born. I think like I, Gibbs is he's he's older. He's like what 36 or 37. He's pretty. He's he's yeah. up there. So ah, yeah. even though he may have come out around the same time as Logic, he's a lot older. He was signed by Jeezy hella years ago. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? So like he just, Yeah, and I always thought he was from himself. New York, but he's not. He's, nah, from... he's from Gary, Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. I'm, I remember I met him. He thought I was a crazy ass bitch and told me to get the fuck out of the dressing room. Oh, we're now in our top three. Yeah, so number three, I think these three records, like those other records were great, but these ones were like, you know, different. These ones were, I think, a tear up from them. And um, number three, I have Miles by Blue and Exile. Um, you know, Blue and Exile, one of the greater rapper-producer duos of all time. Um, this was their first album in eight years, and it was pretty much like a, almost a double album. It was, you know, 90 minutes long. It was a long album. And then, you know, Blue, one of the best lyricists of all time, you know, he talking about, you know, a lot of spiritual things, a lot of social issues. It was really great. It was really down-to-earth record, and it was like, you know, it was a healing record to listen to. And then you have Exile, you know, behind the boards, who's really, he was doing something special. All the little, you know, details he puts in, you know, he's pretty much, you know, he really infuses that jazz sound. I mean, they're just both, they're both great, and it would just be it was another great record. I appreciate record. Blue and Exile not only as a, as a producer-MC duo, but also as, like, one of the people who have led the charge in terms of the working-class MC right like, yeah like you have griselda they're all underground but they talk they they glamour rap you know what i'm saying they're mm -hmm. talking about their yeah. bentleys and whatever the case yeah. is but then people like blue and exile like they have this this air about them that's very very like down the road working yeah. class people's mc you know what i'm saying and there's not a lot of people who can do that in a very charming way so i i, I salute them for that yeah. totally Nah, exile is awesome i've had a couple conversations with him he read my review i wrote on miles when it came out Ooh. he's a really down-to-earth person he's really really good guy cool that's dope. that congrats yeah, that's a number three i really okay. i heard that album. i didn't hear that album either yeah, yeah. So, I, I highly recommend it it was great cool all right yeah. top two two top two. number two <laughs> i got run the jewels four you know Killer, Killer Mike LP, back at it again. First album in four years. Came out at the perfect time. I mean, you know, all the stuff was going on, the riots for George Floyd. And they dropped the album a couple days early, you know, for the people. And, I mean, it really, it was, you know, super, definitely, I think, the most important album of this year. The, the stuff they talked about, everything they covered, it was just, it was really, you know, it was really important to hear. Some, you know, someone like them, I think Killer Mike had the best verse of the year on Walking in the Snow which he really snapped on that track. You listen to that, I mean, like, it was crazy. Oh, he almost predicted everything that was going on, and he recorded that in November of 2019, he said. Whoa. And, um, you know, LP, you know, he's one of the best producers of all time, you know, pretty much typical for his standards, but, you know, there were some, you know, new sounds, and then the features on it were great. You had a feature from 2 Chains, who, you know, is one of the best feature artists of our generation, Pharrell, Zach De La Rocha, and then, you know, you had DJ Premier on the scratches. It was a great record. And I'd probably say it was the second best Run the Jewels album. Yeah, yeah. I think I have them in my top ten in terms of albums. I didn't put them on the top ten, but I remember when it came out, I, I, I was... It was very impactful. I, almost, I actually counted it against them that they, they dropped the album early. Mm -hmm. Kind of, sort of, because I felt like it was kind of like... Not necessarily cloud chasing, but like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, they were just like, all right, okay. this, there's no better time for us to drop this and be successful, so let's do it now. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, because yeah. they're a touring group, so it actually counts against them because there's no tours going on, right? Yeah, now. they they make a lot from merch too. Their their fucking true. merch that they came out with too is yeah. so fucking fire. Yeah, 
a merch game together. That's what it does. And then, yeah. so, all right, so now. Number one. Number one. Number one, I got, this is, I got Burden of Proof by Benny the Butcher. And I mean, you know, it wasn't as, you know, topically deep as, you know, the other two records I listed, but it was, I think, the best produced Griselda record there's been. I Hit Boy produced it. It was so different from the rest of the Griselda records. A lot of the Griselda records, they're great. But again, they're not, you know, they kind of all, a lot of them just mesh together. You know, they're just yeah. good. You listen to them maybe once or twice. It's like, this is good. But, you know, you're really going to go back to it a lot? Probably not. This took, you know, Benny, Benny upped his lyricism, first of all. I mean, he was talking about more, you know, deeper topics. His storytelling was up. Everything was up. And then, you know, you had this great soundscape from Hit Boy, which was beautiful. And you had great features, too. Lil Wayne was on it. Yeah. Um, Big Sean, Dom Kennedy. Yeah, you had Conway Westside. It was a great album. And I think, you know, Gangster Rap, I think, really had a really strong year. I think I had four, maybe five Gangster Rap albums in my top ten. Which I don't think has been like that for a while, but they really, you know, they did something special, Griselda, but Benny especially. Totally, yeah. Agreed. Benny really put his foot into that album. Like, did, he, like, yeah. showed up. Did you enjoy the uh, Partisan Fontaine? Because I feel like that would probably go into gangster rap a little bit, more trap. I don't know, but did you enjoy that album too? I thought it was. I thought it was all right. I haven't listened to it since it came out. Okay, I thought I thought it was really dope, but I didn't put it in my top ten either. But I almost did. Yeah. Because any um, mentions that you have, and then we're gonna get into your list in a minute. We we might be running out of time, <laughs> okay. bro. It yeah, it's fine. Uh, some any, honorable mentions. Yeah. Any honorable I just had I have a couple quick ones. Um, Price of Tea in China, Alchemist, Bully, James, Circles, Mac Miller, um, Savage Mode Two, Twenty One Savage, Metro Boomin. Um, yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah, I had um, I, I think I concur with a lot of those albums that you mentioned. That Benny is in my mm-hmm. top ten. Um, Me too. Busta Rhymes is in my top ten. Busta Rhymes album. I just Me think too. for for the culture, I think he bridged the gap well. I think I've I've personally been looking for a Busta Rhymes hey. album. Hey, I got, I got the graphed? Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> this, what the fuck is this it? This fucking guy. Is shit open in New York yeah. or what? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Autograph from Buster Rhymes. I'm freaking out. That's crazy. Holy fuck! That's it, it was a limited drop on his website right when it came out. It was like 25 bucks. I was like, I'm ordering this shit. I also have the new Future album, High Off Life. I have it signed in my room upstairs. That's a those are collectors' yeah. items, bro. Yeah, that's really crazy. That's okay. Crazy. Well, I know we don't have that much time. How we just run through our list real quick? Yeah, totally. So we made our list. own list that we just want to get your insight on. Um, we have three lists. We have top albums of 2020, and then we have our all-time top 10 lyricists, and then MCs and artists. Like, so, top 10 hip-hop artists, and, and yeah. that, that doesn't have anything to do with lyricism. Just yeah, yeah, of course. As a figure in the culture. Yeah. Right, yeah. so all right, you go start with your... Do you want to do albums? I'll, I'll start you... with the albums. Okay. All right. So, and I think we concur with some of some of the takes that you took. We have we have them in here. I mean, mine. I know I'm not gonna yeah. be like the fan favorite, but my, my okay. So number ten, Two Chain. So help me God. Number nine, the Busta Rhymes album. Number eight, Benny the Butcher. Number seven, Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs, and Alchemist. Number six is the Stove God Cooks, Reasonable Drought, That's which I'm kind of surprised you didn't say. The album was dope. Yeah. Um, I put to Baby, Blame It on Baby, because even though. There was only three records on there that I really liked. I played them so frequently, and they were, like, fucking smashes. And then Pop Smoke, for sure, Shoot for the Stars, like, that whole album just Mm -hmm. is amazing. Kid Cudi, Man on the Moon 3, St. John, While the World Was Burning is, like, my favorite fucking album ever, even though a lot of them are remixes from his previous albums, (laughs) but I still (laughs) fuck with it. And then Lil Wayne Funeral, like, Deluxe, that shit. He really killed it. 
Yeah, that's that's my number one is Lil Rain, uh Funeral Deluxe because like uh, almost every single song on that album I've played probably like five hundred times. So that's a that's a good list. Yeah, I have most of those in my top fifty. I Funeral I thought. I thought it was kind of inconsistent for Wayne, but Wayne's been kind of inconsistent. But I thought, you know, the best tracks on it, especially the deluxe, like the song Griselda, Uzi, those songs are great. But yeah, it's a good one. The beats, though, like Mahogany, that beat Mahogany was, was crazy. Mahogany was so hard. Yeah, yeah. that was insane. That was insane. Okay. Let, I'll put the light on you. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, at, top, at 10, I was conflicted, and I ended up airing on the side of Big Sean. I had it. I had it as tied between Big Sean's album uh, Detroit Two and Twenty One Savage and Metro Boomin's album, mm. which was really yeah. good. And the only thing that would have edged it out otherwise is the Morgan Freeman. Um, yeah, he had interview. Morgan Freeman on there. Morgan so Freeman, that was kind of big, but I, that was awesome. I went at the end of it all. I went with Replay, and I, I think I listened to more Big Sean album or more Big Sean songs frequently than yeah. I do Twenty One Savage. Yeah. Song, so that's that's where I have that number nine. I have Lil Wayne the funeral, mm-hmm. followed by Carter Five Deluxe because he fucking went crazy on those new songs on the Carter Five. The yeah, song with Ray right. Yeah, the song like he, went, he went nuts. Like his yeah. his lyrical ability just went like it was. And the the little WAP sample like yeah, in there it, briefly it, it, was it, yeah insane on on both of those. So he he's up there. Um, seven, I have Jay Electronica written testimony only because I'm a diehard Jay Electronica fan. That album was great, yeah. It was really great, too. And as, even though I was disappointed at the fact that there was Jay-Z all over it, even though I don't like I, I like it, I loved it, but I didn't like yeah. it for a debut album. I thought Jay-Z bodied him, yeah. I thought yeah, Jay did it. Exactly. It's just like, Jay-Z is, you know, one of the He showed up, and it was just like, it, you know, it becomes so one-sided at a certain point. Yeah. But nonetheless, I go back to that album a lot more than I thought I would, so I had to And the single there. that they put out after, the Travis Scott, uh, Jay Electronica, oh, yeah. Bl- that uh, song. The Blinding, was, yeah. That Blinding was, yeah, that was, was really dope. Um, six, I have Kanye, Queen, uh, Conway, King the God. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Five, I have Benny the Butcher, Burden of Proof. Four, Buster Rhymes, uh, Extinction Level Event, Wrath of God. Three was King Disease, Nas. Two was Alfredo, Freddie Gibbs, and, and Alchemist. And number one was Still God Cooks, A Reasonable Drought. Only because it's the album that I went back to the most, and it was the yeah. most refreshing, in my opinion. It I was, had, that album is fucking dope. It was like, it was like yeah. Griselda, but with melody. And yeah. that's all yeah. I need in life. <laughs> you give me Griselda with some melody and some spiritual references, and I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm completely <laughs> satisfied with everything. But now let's get into it. Now we've created these all-time lists, and we'd love to get your opinion on if these you before have, you get out of here. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. be quick. <laughs> um, so these are our all-time lyricist lists. So when people make lists often, especially when it comes to, like, MCs, they make a list, and I don't think they differentiate between, like, lyricists People and, just yeah. about bars and technical writing ability and MCs who have like hit records, who have stage presence, who have all the other things that we yeah. look for in artists. So or albums, yeah, or okay. albums like the off yeah. their albums yeah. and their bodies of work are amazing. So, so top ten, yeah, these are my top ten uh, hip hop artists. Again, by going by those parameters, yes, yeah, like. Other way. Oh shit! Going by those parameters, yeah, like not just lyrics, but hooks and hits and albums and just everything and just everything that they represent as an artist. I have number ten, Kid Cudi. Number nine, Missy Elliott. Eight, Kanye West. Seven, um, Andre Three Thousand. 
six Lil Kim just because she influenced a lot of the way that I rap. So I have to yeah. throw in there. Lil Wayne, also one of my biggest influences. Biggie, number four. Number three, Kendrick. Number two, I get a lot of shit for this. I put Lauren Hill because I know she only put out really like one album, but really two, really three. If you count. Three, yeah. yeah. I would say three. So yeah. I, I got to put her number two. And my number one is Tupac. Yeah. That's a good that's list. A, that's a great list. That's yeah. a good list. You got hella Geminis at the top. <laughs> I have five Geminis in my top ten. Very I know good. all of their signs, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then, so that was your top artist list? Yeah. Okay, so top artist list. All right. And then feel free, after I give my list, for you to add whoever you think is missing or personal favorites of yours. All right, so yeah. top ten. Number ten is Drake. I don't think we've ever seen a run like Drake. I don't think we'll ever see it again. Um, and he shifted the culture so many times in the last 10 years. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Nine goes to Busta Rhymes because I, I think he doesn't get enough flowers as one of the more dominant lyricists in the game, but then also a hit maker as well and being able to do something yeah. completely different than what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and I can see that. Um, eight, Kendrick Lamar, only because he's Kendrick. And I just think that... I, I would love as an artist for him to be a little bit more out front and outspoken and kind of loud, yeah. but that's just kind yeah. of, you know, it doesn't work with him. Yeah. So I yeah. just, why I, I, as much as I love him, He's I elusive. Keep him, yeah, I keep him up yeah. there. Um, seven, I have Kanye West because I think, and this is kind of a disagreement with you, Mark. Um, you put that three best, the, the best three album runs. And I think yeah. you put Good Kid, Mad City, Pimp a Butterfly, and then the Untitled. Yeah. And then with Kanye West, I think you did Dark Twisted Fantasy, Yeezus, and then and Pablo. Yeah. I would I would actually yeah, say, I would go, I would say college dropout. The, the original, yeah. Yeah, college yeah. dropout, late registration, and graduation. That's exactly what I, I was... Oh, no. Now, you wouldn't have Dark Twisted Fantasy? But if, if we're talking about three albums... Like three in a row? Yeah, three yeah. albums mm. consecutively, I think that's a better run than the other one. I think, but yeah. I think, Dark Twisted yeah. Fantasy is like, that's probably one of the best albums in hip-hop. Like, I just... Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really tough. Um, yeah. Number six, I have uh, KRS-One, just because it's KRS-One. Like, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing more hip-hop than KRS-One, and you just have to... Yeah. Even though he, he hasn't stood the test of time, he's older... You don't really get a lot of hits from him or really like special moments anymore. But I just think in terms of relevancy to the culture, he just has to be mentioned. Um, yeah. Five Biggie, obviously, for like obvious yeah. reasons and just cultural influence and just his presence as an MC. The fact that like these, he didn't write this shit. Like he just had a pocket that he just created. Oh, yeah. He's, you know what I mean? He's, um, yeah. for Tupac, who arguably is the best hip hop personality we've ever seen. And I don't think we'll ever see somebody like that again. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Time. Uh, yeah. Three, Lil Wayne, just because I think Lil Wayne, as a lyricist and as an MC, has the hit records, he has the personality. He's from the South, and he kind of heralded 5, the, the, the launch of the South uh, yeah. in terms of its dominance. I think he was the reason for that. Um, yeah. Number two, Jay-Z, because of what Jay-Z's relevance is to New York rap particularly, yeah. but the culture at large. You know what I'm saying? I just think that, yeah. and, and again, another pr- rapper who doesn't write any of this mm-hmm. shit. Like, he just literally freestyles it and yeah. it's that process. And then one, Nas, yeah. because I wouldn't rap if it wasn't for Nas. And I think that at 19 or 18 years old, he did what all these old heads are wanting these younger kids to do. And now, and I understand the critique when it comes to older aud- aud- audiences critiquing the younger MCs. 
because even though they're 17, 18 years old doing like whatever they're doing with the trap rap and, and the melodic shit, Nas was doing what he was doing at 18 mm-hmm. and 19 years old. So it's just like, you don't really have an excuse. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like yeah. Nas was in his yeah. 30s rapping that way. He was a child. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. there's my, so that's hip hop, M. that's MC's. I want to hear, I want to hear if you got your top yeah, 10. Yeah, who, who, do you, we'll who you would you put in that list that you may not have heard? I bounce, yeah, I'll, I'll run through my top 10, but I bounce around with the order, a lot of the order. Literally, one through nine could all flip, depending on the day. It's really tough, but 10, it's a little bit of a wild card, but I give it to Nas. I think there's some other guys who definitely could get that nod. I think, you know, like most deaf, common, honorable mentions, even Pusha T, um, you know, two newer guys, Danny Brown, Earl Sweatshirt, have been, you know, two of the best rappers over the past decade. They Earl definitely Sweatshirt, people really love Earl Sweatshirt. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like almost doom level for his generation, I think. He is, yeah. That's I think he's like the doom in a sense. <laughs> yeah. But um, then nine, I got Q-Tip. You know, Tribe Called mm, Quest. I almost you know. had him in there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. He was my eleven. Eight. This guy's good. This guy's yeah. good. <laughs> Eight, I got Ghostface. You know, Ghostface Killer. You know, as Wu Tang member, super consistent. I don't think anyone has as many good albums as him. He really doesn't have a bad album. I don't think he made a bad album till last year with his Ghostface Killer album. I don't. That was, I think, his worst album. But everything else he's made, I think, has been you know above average. And then, um, you know, seven. I got this. Is now the order gets a little. It could really switch here. But seven. I'm gonna right now. I'm going with Black Thought. You know. One of Wait. the best lyricists. Oh, well, I have him my lyricist, not in my rap. I have him, yeah, yeah. I have him my one of the best lyricists. I mean, you know, the stuff he's done with the roots is insane. One of the best feature artists, and then you know, just you know, his freestyle game. He's probably the best freestyler of all time. For real. Um, six. I got Doom. You know, rest in peace. Super consistent. Probably the best lyricist of all time. Um, yeah. Number five. I got LP. He's done so much. So many different groups by himself. He's an amazing producer, amazing rapper. He can literally do everything. Four, I got Jay-Z. Um, you know, he's Jay-Z. I don't really think I need an explanation. <laughs> and then, now the top three, I think these guys, I think all could flip too, especially. So three, I got Kendrick. He's already done so much in such a little amount of time. It's really mind-boggling. I mean, To Pimp a Butterfly, in my opinion, is the best rap album of all time. And Good Kid is great. Damn is great, and you know he hasn't really he hasn't missed yet. He's a great lyricist, great storyteller, everything. Number two, I got Andre three thousand. I think he's hey. the most talented rapper of all time, but mm. he hasn't dropped enough for me to really put him at the one spot. And number one, I got Kanye, who I think I think that could switch. I think he has a lot of flaws, but I think that's also what makes Kanye Kanye. Mm. That makes sense. Fair enough. I like Fair that enough. list. I like it's that a good list. list. It's yeah. a good list. I I would I would go. Kendrick's To Pimp a Butterfly is the Illmatic of its generation. Mm. In the same way people look back at Illmatic like, yo, what the fuck was he on? I think people are going to continue to look back at To Pimp a Butterfly like this. To Pimp a Butterfly, My Dark Twisted Fantasy and Miss Educational Lauryn Hill, I think are like my top three favorite albums. I know. But (laughs) albums that like, they're just, they are so cohesive and like, I don't know, they're powerful. Yeah. And I'm just gonna run off the lyricist list, but we don't really have to deep dive into it, and and, and we you know we're running out of time. But I just want to get <laughs> yeah. into it. Longest longest <laughs> thirty fine. minute interview it, ever. You know, it happens. It happens. <laughs> we're, we're talking hip hop here, so like it's gonna you know what I mean. All right, yeah. top ten lyricists based on lyricism. Ten Lil Wayne. I have nine Andrew uh, Andre three thousand. I have Andrew. Written. I don't know. <laughs> I knew <what> you meant. <laughs> Eight J Cole. Seven Eminem. Six Busta Rhymes. Three, no, six, uh, five, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, four, Jay Electronica. 
five. <laughs> you are I'm so, so messed up. Three. Three. Race to five, nine, two Nas, and one Black Thought. That's a great list. Yeah. Put that in order. He's like, I did it. Like, I just, because I wrote the names and I was just like, all right, let me just like put the numbers next to it. I had no idea. All right, I'll run mine real quick, real quick. So my lyrics is number 10, J. Cole. Number nine, Big Pun. Eight is Andre. Seven, Royce. Six, Black Thought. Five, Tupac. Four, Eminem. Three, Lil Wayne. Two, Big L. And one, Biggie. And I know that they didn't, they are died before they could do a lot, but I just still think lyrically, no yeah. one fuck with them. Yeah. Like, Big L, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that freestyle he did with Jay-Z yeah. still makes Jay-Z Jay -Z look silly. Look, yeah, that's why, that's <laughs> yeah. why I don't fuck yeah. with Jay-Z, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, fair. I heard that and I was like, yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> You only I right, because Big L ain't here. Like for real, like, low key, low key. Is there anybody in that list or anybody that should be mentioned that we haven't mentioned? Um, um I think Doom, Aesop Rock, mm -hmm. Lupe Fiasco. Um, yeah. mentioned Andre and Black Thought. Um, did you guys mention Nas? I think you mentioned Nas, right? I mentioned Nas. I, I didn't mean, put yeah, him in Nas. my top ten list. <laughs> Nas. Um. You know, underrated picks, I think Blue and Jizza from Wu-Tang. I think they're both Ooh. up there. I think, um, who are some other good picks? Those are, like, I think the real... Most Def, maybe, too. Yeah, Most, most Def, I think, is around that 10 spot. I think yeah. Ghostface is around that 10 spot. Also, um, oh, I just had him on top of my head. I forgot. Let me think for a second. Um, oh, shit, who was it? Go back. I'll I'll figure it out. I'll think about it. <laughs> no, oh, no, Big L. Big L is definitely there. Big, oh, big. totally. Yeah, yeah, he's my number definitely. two. Yeah. yeah. Well, we really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for, for, for tuning in and tapping in with us. Where can people find you? Shout out the blog, shout out the IG page, all of those things for deep dives and breakdowns and analysis of hip hop culture. Go to let them know. Yeah, fantastichiphop.blog. If you know you're looking for my website, and then on Instagram, fantastic underscore hip hop. You know, keep pushing out content for you. If you're a young artist, you need a review, you need to get out there. Hit me up. I got cheap pricing for everyone. You know, really just trying to better hip hop culture. That's really the goal here. So, and so yeah, thank you, you for having me. Salute to you growing the quarantine beard. I see you, boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna send you. I'm gonna send you a EP for you to review soon too. So. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Thanks. Well, there we go. Ratchet and Woke Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Um, Ratchet and Woke Podcast at gmail.com is where you can email questions, comments, and topics. And we appreciate y'all. Peace and love. Thank you so much, sir.